Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know, I come from a meat family. My dad was in the cattle business uh, his entire life. <laughs> We're a meat family. And I did not know that JBS was the world's largest meat processor, but it was hit with a ransomware attack this week, most likely from Russia, that forced the company to shut down nine beef plants across the United States. Um, Weren't meat prices already crazy high? Absolutely. You buy a steak at the store and see what that costs. It's it's ridiculous. I'm not going to be no... We we do, Mr. President. I'm not going to be no danged vegan, but I don't know. Maybe i got to go with uh, bologna for a while. And the White House believes the ransomware attack came from that same criminal organization based in Russia that had to do with other things. So what is going on there? Why are they so brazenly attacking our uh, big companies? Our biggest pipeline, our biggest meat company. I think because they're greedy. I just think it's thieves. I hope you're right. I don't think you are. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let's wait and find out. I, for one, unlike the idiot media, don't need to immediately latch onto a conclusion and then ignore and or ban anything to the contrary. Mentioned this very briefly yesterday. Wanted to hit you with this because this is some of my favorite writing so far of the year. And it's Matt Taibbi. Uh, talking about the immediate rejection of the lab leak theory last year, just because Trump said it. And he he starts with a discussion of this new trend in journalism, where they're they're out and proud saying, you don't need to, to publish both sides, because if one side is clearly good and the other side is evil or misinformation, you, journalists are not obligated to publish both sides, which has long been the uh, the tradition. And here's what uh, Matt Taibbi says, one of the great truth-tellers of our time. But uh, objectivity was never about giving equal time and weight to both sides. It's just an admission that the news business is a high-speed operation whose top decision-makers are working from a knowledge level of near zero about most things, and at best just making an honest effort at hitting the moving target of truth. I love that, acknowledging mm-hmm. that especially the hires-up don't know squat about squat. Like fact-checking itself, the on the one hand and the other hand format is just a defense mechanism. These people say X, these people say Y. And because the jabbering mannequins we have reading off our teleprompters actually know jack about it, we'll let the passage of time sort out the difficult bits. And the public used to appreciate the humility of that approach, but what they get from us more often now are sanctimonious speeches about how reporters are intrepid seekers of truth who sleep next to God and gobble amphetamines so they can stay awake all night defending democracy from misinformation. But once you get past names, dates, and whether the sky that day was blue or cloudy, the worst kind of misinformation is in journalism is to be too sure about anything. That's especially True when dealing with complex technical issues, and even more especially when official sources seem invested in eliminating discussion of alternative scenarios of those issues. And then, he says, from the start, the press mostly mishandled COVID-19 reporting. Part of this was because nearly all of the critical issues, mask use, lockdowns, viability of vaccine programs, and so on, were marketed by news companies as culture war narratives. A related problem had to do with news companies using the misguided notion that the news is an exact science to promote the worst misconception that science is an exact science. This led to absurd spectacles like news agencies trying to cover up or denounce as falsehood the natural reality that officials had evolving views on things like the efficacy of ventilators or mask use, etc., etc. 
I think that's that's really good. And part of the the pretext to that is he was talking about the whole fact checking trend. They're desperately trying to not look one hundred percent partisan. They're trying to find a way to say we're trying to find the truth because they've abandoned the old humble uh thing of uh, detractors on the other hand disagree and say for instance the Wuhan lab think is uh, the Wuhan lab theory is reasonable because x y and z just throw that in have the humility to throw that in even if your chosen government officials say they don't believe it so this just across from Gizmodo, which keeps an uh, eye on everything tech, kind of in line with what you were just talking about. Twitter may start labeling your tweets based on how wrong you are. One of the many social Ugh. media companies that's trying to keep up with misinformation, its latest attempt to move the needle looks to be a tiered warning label system that changes based on how wrong you are. Who's determining that? So far, there are three levels of misinformation on tweets. Uh, One label is get the latest, another is stay informed, and one is labeled misleading. You know, that's funny. We just got a uh, a note from alert listener Sean who said, I reposted an article you guys posted, critical race theory, coming to a school near you, and it's been blocked slash deleted by Facebook, along with any comments I'd received. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Facebook is now banning any critical discussion of critical race theory. Beautiful. You're freaking evil, Zuckerberg. You are. And I'm sure you'll have me killed in the night. You know, the pillow over my head. One of your, uh, you know, fact checkers. Well, that's fine. So this, keep calling you out. So the this, wrath of Mark. So this woman uh, named Wong, who uh, reverse engineers popular apps to uncover features still in development, shared a screenshot of her efforts experimenting with Twitter's new tier system of how wrong your tweet might be. Ah. For example, she tweeted... Snorted 60 grams of dihydrogen monoxide, and I'm not feeling so well now. Which triggered a get-the-latest label with information about water. Dihydrogen <laughs> monoxide, the chemical name for water. Right. Yeah. right. When she tweeted, in 12 hours, darkness will ascend in parts of the world, stay tuned, a stay-informed label popped up, prompting users to learn more <laughs> about the concept of time zones. <laughs> and when she tweeted, we eat turtles eat, therefore we are turtles... Twitter slapped a misleading label on her post, noting that it's a logical fallacy. Well, that's pretty good. Well, fair enough. <laughs> Unless she's a turtle. <laughs> anyway. Maybe she was a turtle to begin with. Uh, anyway. But that's correlation, not causation. So I support Twitter and their brave efforts to eliminate misinformation. Of people claiming to be turtles. <laughs> really? False, false claims of turtlehood. Unfriggin' believable. <laughs> I'm telling you. Is there any chance that the 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 effort to uh, censor some information doesn't end up being worse than just letting it go? That was like a quadruple negative. I'm it not was. sure what you're asking me. <laughs> uh, all these efforts just seem to be doing more harm than good. Yes, the cure is has so far been far worse than the disease. With with the number one example being what we we're just talking about the Wuhan lab leak. If the biggest communication companies are gonna immediately jump on what's okay and what's not okay in terms of a theory, wow, that has that has a major influence. 
you know, we'll never know what it would have been like a year ago if Facebook, Twitter, and, uh, you know, the rest of the mainstream media had a, had thought, hmm, maybe it leaked out of that Wuhan lab. Let's look into it. Let's, let's, you know, let's follow every lead we get where let's, let's talk to every whistleblower that could possibly come forward. If a whole year ago, what sort of pressure that might have put on China if immediately, um, more information had come out about that. When well, there was still time to even get any of the evidence. Maybe they would have been under enough world pressure to get the WHO in there earlier when they could have actually found anything before the China started destroying all the evidence. Right. And given the point that, given the fact that we're at some sort of tipping point between the Western system and the Chinese totalitarian communist system as the rest of the world looks at which system works better. I mean, that's, the impact is far, far beyond a question of calling them out for leaking the uh, Chinese bat flu. I mean, it, the impact, the the stakes are enormously high. They're almost incomprehensibly high. And yeah, if only the social media and the Washington Post, who who just the other day published a story, suddenly the Wuhan lab leak, the, lab leak theory seems very credible. No, not suddenly, just suddenly to you. But if all of those people, including social media, had said, okay, here's a letter from 19 scientists saying we don't think it was a lab leak. Let me think. There are like 75 million scientists just in North America. Why don't we ask some other ones? Why don't we be a little skeptical here? And then, what you're talking about, Jack, the world could have come together and said to China, you're letting our guys in now, or we are going to presume you unleashed this on the world. Can you imagine how different that would have been? And it was the American media and social media that carried the Chinese communist water for them and ran interference for them at the very time, really the only time an investigation would have been fruitful. So we've got a couple of Amazon stories for you. You can now be a pothead and work at Amazon, apparently. Good lord. A stoner. Uh, and their uh, failed mission on uh, on uh, eliminating the, the worst workers at Amazon, how they, uh, how they approach that. Joe's going to fill in the details. Yeah, they hire people just so they can fire them. It's a beautiful <laughs> example of unforeseen consequences of policy. Uh, also, Nancy Pelosi's just made an announcement that might seem confusing on the face of it, so we could get into that all on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Set me free. What's up, you Get out my life. Stoners can now work at Amazon. Fantastic. Yeah, my God. Pot addicts. So Nancy Pelosi just announced that she will not, uh, there will not be a January 6th commission come out of the House. So we haven't gotten into that a lot, and I don't plan to here. Um, the back, the back and forths and wrangling over uh, this and that study of the insurrection on January sixth. This is the thing that you need to know, though. There are plenty of committees that are already investigating this. It will be investigated. Hmm. A particular uh, committee not happening is cable news fodder, but it will be investigated. Wow. By, by journalists and congressional committees. You can't stop journalists from looking into it. And that is congressional nowhere, committees. nowhere in the news media. Oh, there are a bunch of different committees that, that have the uh, subpoena power and, and the, it's their, you know, it's their, 
bailiwick to 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 look into that sort of thing, and it will mm-hmm. happen. It will go forward. Right. And and Nancy did the interesting thing. She did the same thing that she did with impeachment, where she didn't actually want to win impeachment. She thought it was a political win somehow to. Remember, draft the articles of impeachment in such a way that they'd be impossible to get in Republican buy-in? Oh, right, right, right. Because then she could paint the Republicans as, you know. And when she first announced this. Trump slaves. When she very first announced this idea of forming a commission to look into it, she made it clear that it was going to be a very partisan, Democrat-led, no Republican buy-in thing, and to, to which Republicans went crazy and cable news went crazy and everything like that. And so it poisoned the well on that. And she, she thought it was apparently a good strategy to try to make the Republicans once again look like they're just, they, they, they won't, they won't cooperate on anything. Well, I tell you this, I spent a couple of minutes, in just a couple of minutes, because it makes me insane, on some of the musician-oriented Twitter that I'll occasionally dial into. And uh, the day that Mitch McConnell said, no, we're not going forward on this, it was all the GOP is a cancer. This is unbelievable. Yeah, so maybe your strategy strategy was working that way, then. Oh, I think it does. Yeah, I think it does. Absolutely. Stoners Uh, at Amazon! So you're fired up about this, huh? No. Your package could end up in Dubuque. They're so high. Oh, you ordered they're in Dubuque. That's a poor uh, example. You ordered pencils and they send you a book because the guy's stoned. I'm just stoned. Ah, listen to that. Amazon said Tuesday it'll stop testing job seekers for marijuana. Well, because you don't know if they got high three days ago or uh, on their way in. The second largest private employer in the United States behind who? Who's the biggest private employer in the United States? Walmart? Walmart is correct. Mm. Uh, but Amazon is second. Is making the changes states legalize uh, marijuana. It just obviously needs to happen. It can't be legal to smoke pot in your state, but you won't hire anybody who does that. That makes no sense whatsoever. They will develop a test at some point to figure out whether you're stoned. You know? Currently if you're stoned, stoned, yeah, if you're stoned on the job, that's no good. Bring up Taco Bell and see how quickly the other person says it's a good idea. That's your test. <laughs> well, I've, I've never taken a test at work to see if I'm drunk. It's just your behavior that... In spite of my urging management to <laughs> conduct one. It's your behavior. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Nothing. Answer Not- that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they need, do they need a test at work? You know, I, this may shock you. I actually, uh, I smoked the, the hippie cabbage at one point. I was abducted by uh, armed lunatics who forced me to. And I actually, there were times that I did not feel like 100% sharp the next morning either. Well, and if so, I was doing but, some sort of job that depended on sharpness. Worse than being hungover? I've, uh, I've done uh, this job uh, and many others so hungover <laughs> I can barely stand. <laughs> Well, luckily, nothing's at stake here, really. (laughs) We're not not manufacturing surgical implements here. (laughs) Hand me the scalpel. Wait a minute. This is a spoon. This is is as dull as a spoon. Is is being hungover from pot worse in terms of being productive than being hungover from booze? I don't know the answer. Ah, gosh, I don't know. My experience would be no. No. Okay. My abduction was many years ago. Similar? No, not even close. Okay. Uh, depends how hungover you were in either scenario. But anyway, uh, speaking of Amazon, as they say in Britain, I found this uh, story interesting on its own. And then as an example of what Jack was talking about yesterday, the uh, what you call it thing, the uh, Goodhart law, where once, Sean, please. Uh, when a measure becomes a target, 
it ceases to become a good measure. Right. Or it ceases you, to be a good measure. You gain the system to just try to hit that target, and you and human nature apparently is you will do things that are counterproductive for the company sure. or the organization yeah. to reach that target. And and the great divide, I think, is do you understand how people really behave, or do you live in a dream world where they'll behave the way you think they should behave? It's former realism, but the story is Amazon had the policy that managers are expected to, either voluntarily or through termination, get rid of a specific number of employees every year. They call it the unregretted attrition rate. Um, and measuring it can be an important tool for helping managers gain perspective. If a manager knows it's normal to lose a certain percentage of employees each year, they're going to think, all right, who are our 90% best? Mm-hmm. And we're going to keep them. Look at the other side of the coin, if you like. The problem, though, is that's not what what's happening. Instead, managers are hiring people they otherwise wouldn't or shouldn't just so they can later fire them to hit their goal, which completely defeats sure. the point. Obviously. Since if the metrics based on sound business principles, there are people keeping their jobs who shouldn't at the expense of sacrificial lambs. If you want to incentivize your managers to a specific goal, it's got to be that specific goal. It's got to be productivity. You can't have an artificial measure. People will game the system to meet that goal. Graduation rates was an example we used earlier. Look for examples in your workplace. You'll probably find them. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So, I was just reading this long article in the New York Times that I was going to quote from, but it's uh, it's too long and complicated to pull out any nuggets, really. Just the overall message of it. And the New York Times, by the way, if you're in this, interested in the Afghanistan story at all, they're doing such great work. They've got an ongoing uh, feature there. With a number of reporters, I guarantee you they're going to win a Pulitzer Prize for this. Um, but really good stuff about the war in Afghanistan, how it started, what it was like, what it's like now as we pull out. And it's amazing how little attention this is getting, having been there now for 20 years. But the uh, the current article, in the, 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 the feature is called the Afghanistan Dispatch, and it's an ongoing thing in the New York Times. And again, if you have any interest in that story, I highly recommend it, but... The current article is about uh, a Marine going back to a base that he fought at 11 years ago. He was there in 2010. And um, when Barack Obama had got elected on the idea of we're going to surge in Afghanistan, we're going to fight the correct war, not the stupid war in Iraq, we're going to fight the right war in Afghanistan, and we did a big surge there. And uh, this guy and a whole bunch of others went to some of these rocky outposts in the middle of nowhere, determined to defeat the Taliban and bring democracy to southern Afghanistan. And now he revisits it, and it's just, and, he, and well, at one point he says, what was that all for? Why did we even do that? I mean, it's just, there's nothing to show for it. Yeah, not only did it not work, it didn't come close to working. Didn't come close to working. And was doomed from the beginning. You know, Absolutely. you could say 2020 hindsight, but. It's still an outpost that the Af- this, the, the Afghan security forces that were on our side um, still hold on to barely, but they're surrounded by Taliban, and it's just our uh, regular dropping of um, uh, ammunition and food and that sort of thing that keeps the little outpost going. But, I mean, it's pointless. It, it almost gets to the Goodhart good law. 
uh, practically, if some goal was to have a certain number of outposts, okay, we've, you've got an outpost there, but what's it accomplishing? Not a freaking thing. It's just a group of people on a rock in the middle of nowhere that we drop supplies to every now and then so they can continue to hold it until the moment we leave completely and they'll be overrun by the Taliban like within an hour. So here's a devil's advocate question for you about Afghanistan. Were it not for the history of the thing, why we started there, and, and how there was the surge and trying to bring Jeffersonian democracy to a bunch of goat herders, et cetera, um, who have zero, less than zero interest in it. If it were not for the history, would there be any particular reason for Americans to be paying nope. a lot of attention to it? Nope, there would not be. I mean, because we have special forces all over the world. What was the latest count? I don't remember, but it was an astounding number of places. No, there's all kinds of places in the world where horrible, horrible things happen. And people live miserable lives, and we don't pay any attention to it or feel like we need to fix it. True enough. Uh, Speaking of which, I have three stories for you here. I think three. Uh, Two are grim, and two are about children. One of them is both, unfortunately. Uh, I'm going to ease into it. I'm going to have a light touch. Don't tune out, please. I read this story, and I thought, well, I'll read you the lead. A group of prison guards are under fire after apparently not noticing that a self-proclaimed Satanist and convicted killer beheaded and dissected his cellmate. Oof. Now I was thinking, oh, this is one of these stories. It's from some godforsaken third world hellhole and, you know, whatever. It's it's a sensation. No! Turns out it's Santa Monica. Well, it's Corcoran State Prison in Cal Unicornia. Oh, really? Yeah. So this guy, Jamie Osuna apparently killed, decapitated, and dissected the body of his cellmate with an improvised knife, which Ooh. is bad enough. But the guards at Corcoran State, where Osuna and Romero were incarcerated, reported after their rounds that both men were alive and well and resting comfortably in their bunks, even after the grisly murder took place. Jeffrey Epstein is asleep in his bed. I just the, went and checked. The death and subsequent failure of guards to report it have drawn calls for investigations into why number uh, the the poor uh, fellow was placed in a cell in the first place with this Osuna character who has a history of attacking his cellmates and apparently oh uh, the LA God. Times is saying the California Department of Corrections and Rehab was incompetent at best uh, in investigating and disciplining disciplining anybody. Uh, I have some actual friends who are corrections officers, uh, fellas. I hope you're better than that. If if somebody is in like 11 pieces in the cell, you probably shouldn't fill out the form saying they're great. If they looked at all. No. I think that happens all the time. That's what we learned from the Jeffrey Epstein thing. I, I think more than anything else is they just write down on the piece of paper, yeah, made the rounds, checked the checked the cells. Yeah, and, and this guy who ended up... Uh, mm, uh, well, he fell to pieces. Uh, this guy, he was not a good guy. But he had not been sentenced to that. No. So, yeah, we have a responsibility. Anyway, moving along. Probably not quickly enough. Um, this is also grim, but it is incredibly important. The CEO of the Children's Hospital of Colorado just declared a state of emergency in pediatric mental health. They said the pediatric emergency departments and inpatient units are being overrun with kids attempting suicide and suffering from other forms of major mental health illness because the teachers' unions saw closed schools as a leverage point to get more money and benefits. And then because the media and a lot of the population heard Trump want to open the schools, 
They went along with the teachers' unions. So, adding to the incredible sins of the mainstream media, uh, covering up for China, for instance, for months and months and months, we now have an epidemic of child suicide because they were socially isolated, they couldn't go to school, even though all the science said they should be, because the teachers' unions saw the children as leverage to get more money and more benefits, and... Those who suck at the teat of the public employee unions on the left side of the aisle were more than happy to enforce those inhumane dictates no matter the cost. I will go no further because we'll all get so freaking pissed we won't be able to go on with our day. A cheery note about America's teenagers coming up after a quick word from our friends at Simply Safe. Also need to tell you about uh, an invisible sculpture that sold for a lot of money. And if you want... Was it real money or uh, invisible money? Because I'll pay you a million invisible dollars for that invisible sculpture. And and if you want Anthony Scaramucci or Kimberly Guilfoyle to give your uh, husband a call on his birthday, I I, know... I don't, but go on. (laughs) I can make that happen for you, so stay tuned for that all. Excellent. Speaking of Simply Safe, you remember the feeling of being tucked into bed as a kid, having the arms of somebody you love around you, safe and secure, and that's the feeling of security... That the people of Simply Safe Home Security uh, make a priority to give you. Simply Safe makes it so easy. It takes about two minutes to customize the system on their website when you go to simplysafe.com/armstrong, and then in about a week you're going to get the thing. You're going to be able to set it up in about thirty minutes. By the way, if you have any problems whatsoever, you can get a hold of somebody really easy from Simply Safe who will walk you through the whole process. Then they're going to have a person with expertise you need ready to help twenty four seven. Setting up the system and protecting you once the system is set up. Yep, it's the people at Simply Safe that really take it to the next level. So go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong, customize your system. It takes about two minutes. Get a free security camera for using the code. 60 day risk free trial, nothing to lose. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong, a free super cool security camera. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Now, if you want Donald Trump Jr. To record a custom video for your, you know, your dad, your wife, whoever's a big Trump fan. Oh, a video? Huh. An actual video. It costs, wow. costs you 500 bucks. For 500 bucks, he'll record a message for you. Um, yeah, you know, that's a pretty cool present. A little pricey. Kimberly Guilfoyle, eh, 200 bucks. A little cheaper. You still in the Trump orbit. You got a Trump fan in your, uh, your, your life. Sure. She's uh, Don Jr.'s squeeze at this point, right? Sean Spicer, $199. Spicy. Wow. Can he, can he like, go off and on a rant, or is he just going to say, hey, Joe, happy birthday. Judy wanted me to pass along a best wishes. I mean, I'm not going to pay a dime for that. George- if I can get him to, like, yell and pound the table. I barely remember who some of these people are, but they were a really big deal at the time. George Papadopoulos. Oh, at the center of uh, the, the Russian collusion hoax. A cool C note, hundred bucks. George Papadopoulos, could you could have him call Judy on uh, on her birthday and say, "Hey, this is George Papadopoulos," and, and she would say, "I think you've got a wrong number." Unless he calls to say, "I'm coming over to change the oil in your car," I'm not paying him a hundred dollars. <laughs> Um. Uh, so how about uh, Michael Cohen? Now that... Oh, come on now. Now wait a minute. If I could get him to call and say... What polls? What polls? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> hundred bucks. Custom video from Michael Cohen's a hundred bucks. I'd pay a hundred bucks for a Michael Cohen video. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
Sebastian Gorka, who we've interviewed several times. Greetings. That was him. Greetings. The last time we had him on. That's how he that's how he uh, he welcomed us when we had I said hello and he said Greetings. Like a alien from another planet. <laughs> like freaking Count Dracula. He's trying to <laughs> undercut some of his former Trump friends ninety nine bucks in a record a custom uh, video message. I don't want a buck lower, oh my goodness. <laughs> When he's not pitching, what is that product he's, he's smiling with those two fellas selling on the Fox News? I can't remember. Walk-in tub? Gold? It might be. It might be. A sir. gold walk-in tub? <laughs> catheter. I don't know. Gold um, catheter. Finally, you just say, this is all too rich for my blood. The recession and whatnot. Um, Anthony Scaramucci, $55 a pop. 55 yeah, exactly. For a mooch! <laughs> He was part of the cabinet for the uh, the team for like what five days no, was it? I thought it was at the bottom. There's one more at the very bottom. Oh, 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 oh boy! Of the Trump orbit. If you got wait a, a minute, Trump a minute, fan in minute. your life and you want them to get a little Trump goodness, Eric <laughs> Amarosa. Oh, jeez. Remember her? Trump I'll give her fifty bucks not to call me. <laughs> Trump, <A> day. <laughs> Trump. Trump actually brought her into the White House briefly. Remember? Yeah. Because she was a big star on The Apprentice. And, hey. and she was a star for being unlikable, right? Yes. She was, yeah, and dishonest. 20 bucks a pop. That's generous. Yeah, by Marosa, call somebody. We ought, to, we ought to do this. Everybody's cashing in. What do, you, what do you want to charge? I mean, how long? Are we talking like 20 seconds, something like that? I got a lot of free time right now with the divorce. Uh, $5 yeah. a spot. No. Fr- <laughs> no. You're, 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 no. No. I was going to say fitty a man at least. Yeah, I'm just sitting around. I'd rather have long. 75. I'm just sitting around all day long, wallowing in my my misery. I need you're not to helping. Five dollars a spot. Yeah, I shouldn't have asked you on the air. I'll call and talk to your uncle Jim for an hour about the weather for five bucks. Okay. Wow. All right. I've, evidently, I need to go solo now. This is very sad. I need something to do. It's going to be hard to go solo with Jack undercutting you every every chance he gets. Yeah, no kidding. Two for one Tuesday. You want me to listen to your uh, your cousin Jim tell about his best golf round? I'll just listen and talk and whatever for, for oh, five bucks. I'll co-host the show for $12,000 a year, and I'll clean the bathrooms. They can call me collect. <laughs> our, our agent is frantically jabbing at his phone, calling, texting Jack, shut up, shut up, stop it. So if your youngster... Doesn't have a job? Have them start looking. Could be the best time ever for teenagers to have a side job in American history. Some of the stories about what they're getting paid are crazy. We'll have that for you, among other things. And I've got that invisible sculpture. You won't believe what it's sold for. Is that what I ran into? (laughs) You won't believe what it's sold for. In the modern world, I I just I can't wrap my head around NFTs and invisible sculptures and the whole thing. It's just it's crazy time. Hour three, that's uh, next hour. Um, something I've actually done before, a reading from this book I was reading, The 100-Year Marathon, but I'm guessing a lot of you didn't hear it. And it's a, it, it's the best example of how blind we were to Chinese ambitions up until recently. Um, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. I, it, trust me, you'll be entertained by this story. 
They knew we were in a full-on Cold War way before we did. They've been they've been at well, it for decades. decades. <laughs> really. So here's some interesting news for you. And this uh, this story from the Seattle Times unintentionally is so Seattleish. But they're talking about the fact that uh, wages for high school age kids uh, are are skyrocketing because especially summer attractions, tourist spots, restaurants are desperate for help. And so they're talking about this Kennywood uh, Amusement Park in uh, the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Those with a high school diploma will earn $19 as a, I'm sorry, $13 an hour as a starting wage, which is up from $9 just last year. Plus, you get free passes for yourself and your family. Uh, they're fighting to hire people. The share of 16 to 19 year olds who are working hasn't been this high since 2008, and roughly 256,000 teens got jobs in April, which counted for the vast majority, by the way, of newly employed people, which is interesting hmm. because teens had suffered sharp job losses at the beginning of the pandemic. But there's an enormous boom in hiring kids. So maybe they'd gone out looking during the COVID or before it or whatever. Is that anything? Have them look for a gig. Is it because teens aren't getting stimmy checks? Wow, that's an interesting point. Oh, they don't a, have the, yeah, I don't know. They don't have the countervailing force that uh, grown-ups have. No, no, getting... no. I heard on NPR that countervailing forces, specific financial incentives to do something, don't have any effect. Which is an argument so idiotic, it's hard to believe an adult would make it. Anyway, uh, blah, blah, blah. So here's your, unfor- your, uh, your just Seattle can't help being Seattle. While, on, while employment can itself offer learning opportunities... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. It can come with a downside. Some educators warn that jobs could distract from school. Well, number one, it's the summer, and, and please, the idea that, that the kid school? working... Yeah, come on, come on. And while employment itself can offer learning opportunities, the most recent wave of hiring has been led by white teens. Oh, boy. Raising concerns that young people from minority groups might miss out on a hot summer labor you market. You know, it's funny. I thought you were going to say the opposite, and it was going to be... Which which shows that white teens don't need to work, and uh, people of color do need to go out and work for others. So I didn't know which right. direction it was going to go. Oh, Either yeah, way, it, it was going to be a horror, obviously. It was a, tra- a tragedy, and this is a sign of systemic, systemic racism. <laughs> a rising tide isn't lifting all boats, said a freaking activist nim- numbskull. <laughs> so this is a good story. Italian artist Salvador Garu... Recently auctioned an invisible sculpture for $18,000. This guy's a hero. The initial price was set between 6000 and 9000 euro. Why'd you give it to me in euro? Do I look like I'm European? Huh? Am I wearing a Speedo? Am I smoking? No. <laughs> the title of the invisible statue is Lo Sono, which is Italian for I the am. The sucker. <laughs> <laughs> which is Italian for I am. The 67-year-old artist's sculpture is immaterial, meaning that the sculpture does not actually exist. Though he's received some critique for the sale, he argues that his work of art isn't nothing, but instead it is a vacuum. Ah. The vacuum is nothing more than a space full of energy. And Can it, I pick yeah. up these batteries I dropped on the floor? I've seen vacuums do that before. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey I got one of them vacuum sculptures, too. I'll uh, sell it to you for uh, five grand. It's like less than half the price. Hey, I give you this one for a hundred bucks. <laughs> Practically, I'll, I'll, You're undercutting me again. I'll even carry it out to your car for you. I'll put it in your trunk. You don't even have to lift it because it's very heavy. 
Um, the vacuum is nothing more than a space full of energy, and even if we empty it and there's nothing left, according to the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, that nothing has a weight, said the artist. Therefore, it has energy that is condensed and transformed into particles, that is, into us. Okay. Um, Congratulations on your several grand, sir. You know, you you can stretch that sentence of nonsense into 100 pages of nonsense if you want. That's still nonsense. Per the instructions, because it came with some rules if you bought the uh, statue, the sculpture must be displayed in a private home free of any obstruction in an area that is about five feet by five feet. Hmm. Um, because the piece does not actually exist, there are no special lighting or climate requirements. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it between 68 and 74, or it'll melt or freeze or something. <laughs> how about I call you up and say I put it in my toilet, and now I'm pooing on it. Uh, reports what say then, that, there, Salvador? Reports say that the only tangible item the buyer will receive is a certificate of authentication that is signed go. by the artist. All right, I have no time for this. Does your $100 statue have one of those, Jack? I don't think so. This makes NFTs look reasonable. Oh, yeah, exactly. They make NFTs look like a chunk of gold. Yeah. Wow. I, I can only admire it. I can only admire it. 18 I'll... grand. somebody paid for it. I wish I had the eggs. I wish I had the cojones to unleash a scheme like this on somebody. I just don't. Armstrong and Getty.